Okay, so Hosea chapter 14. And we saw that the prophecy in chapter 11 is regarding you. And as you read the Bible, when you find that this prophecy is regarding me, have you ever tasted that joy? Okay, when I met with God 33 years ago, uh, throughout the year, the Holy Spirit was teaching me the Bible. And throughout that time, uh, the focus was on Bible with me. What is this Bible saying regarding me? So as I looked at all these prophecies, I saw the ones, particularly the ones that were concerning me. So what does Paul say? He calls it my gospel. That this is the word that has transformed my life. And so there are many aspects to the Bible that we can see. But what first you need to make this relationship with the Bible. And Paul also says this often, my God. He's talking about his God that transformed his life. And so some amongst you may feel this way that says, my father God, but uh, no, the God of my father, but not my God. The truth of the church of my church, but not my truth. And this is a very dangerous um, flaw, weakness. That means that you have begun your relationship with God improperly. First, it needs to be my truth. And then there's the truth of the community. And so I'm not saying what's more important, but rather, when I meet with God, it becomes my, He is my God, right? But without the God that you have met personally and then meeting the God of your father, meeting the God of your church, you need the truth that has transformed you. The authority of God that has transformed you. And so if you do not have that personal thing, then you need to receive that today. And so as you look at these prophecies, uh, you know, filled with the joy that, wow, this is prophecy regarding me. Then you will see the word of God being living and alive in you. As we saw the same thing in chapter 12 as well. And then now in chapter 14, this is prophecy of our restoration. <coughs> Not restoration of Israel during Israel's time. This is restoration prophesied for our end times in the eschatology, in the end times. And so this is a prophecy regarding our generation, our times. And we see this all, all the time throughout the book of Isaiah. And when you receive these words, it comes to you as Rema. And you realize that you are, and when you believe that you are the fulfillment of this prophecy, that you, you just go crazy. And I find many times words that has called me as an apostle for this generation. And so I could feel the word of God upholding me, lifting me up into this heavens. 
And so chapter 14 is prophesying your restoration, brothers. Amen? So let's continue. Okay, and so let us focus on the word as we finish today and pray and then take a picture and then go eat. And then when we get back, we continue this revival. Amen? It's only Tuesday, right? There's five days until Sunday. And so even if you were to take over this sanctuary for the rest of the week, I will not complain. You can do so if you want. Amen? So, verses 1 through 3, it is a plea to uh, repent. So this plea of repentance and to separate yourself sin um, is in the context of God's judgment being proclaimed. But he prays that, that God wants a new generation. And so as you may well be aware, Messiah comes to this earth. And because the Messiah comes to this earth, Israel can start a new beginning. And as we saw in verse in chapter 13, Right, that God has already begun in verse 14 of chapter 13 to ransom and to redeem them. So redeem is to completely pay off the debt. That you are not um, under debt. You may think like this, that I have a $10,000 uh, debt and so I'll give you 9,000 and I'll, the remaining 10,000 later. And so let me borrow him. Right? You may think that, right? But no, if it's a $100,000 debt, the entire debt has been paid, including all interest. And so do you have any debt left or not? No, you are not indebted to the flesh. And it's not just simply being set free from your debt. As I talked about in the in Galatians, freedom isn't just simply being set free from your slavery, but your entire being is being transformed. You become a slave, you go from a slave to become a king. And so the joy of salvation is, is so great, it shakes you because it's this kind of joy. And so even now, when you look at the church, there are many people who live out their Christianity with the inspiration of just gaining a meal. That, oh, I met a good master, and so I enjoyed a good meal. That I went to Anzan and had a nice buffet. There are many people who serve Jesus like this. And if this continues, then the attitude you have is you feel you are a salary man from God. And so you serve God for the joy of a wage. No, that is not our joy. Our joy are is inheritors as princes of God. This is a completely different dimension. It's a different level. This is what it means to be redeemed. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And so redeem always goes hand in hand with ransom. And so through our ransom, we were ransomed and then redeemed to receive God's inheritance. And so your salvation isn't just salvation alone, but it goes together with glory. (coughs) It's not separated. That when you meet with God and receive salvation, immediately you have confirmation, assurance of that salvation. And I'll talk about that a little bit later today. And you immediately head towards glory. And that glory continues, glorification continues even in eternity. In eternity, you will continue to become more and more like God. So if you split that time up, there's a glorification on this earth. As it says in Romans 8.30, that it's written in the past tense that God has determined for your glory. Meaning that there is glorification in this earth. And if you look at Isaiah, how, where does this glorification lead to? Though your old self will not be killed, you make the uh, old self to be nothing. And so as it says in 1 John 3, 9, that he who is born of God will not sin. So we get to that point where we trample, we have our foot at the neck of the old self and do not sin. And so if you do not begin this process, you will not imagine, you could not imagine what it means to not sin. But imagine, imagine that you're contending against Goliath. And there are many ways you could defeat Goliath. Maybe be stronger than him. But that's not easy to do, right? No matter how much you eat, you you probably won't get stronger than Goliath. Even if you were to eat at a buffet for three nights and four days, I don't think you'll get bigger than Goliath. You'll probably just get fatter. Okay, so pass on this first option. The second option... You use a very powerful weapon. But there's an issue here as well. Uh, it's, impo- it's hard to be able to learn how to use a weapon in that instant, right? In that moment. And also, it's a little unfair, right? Since you're doing a one-on-one fight, it should be a fair fight, right? And so pass on the second option as well. The third option is the best, maybe. But this is also a little bit unfair. Okay, you starve Goliath. So make him fast for 40 days. Then what's going to happen to Goliath? Okay, he probably won't even be able to lift up his sword. Okay, maybe 40 days is not enough. 
to make him fast for a year. Then he won't be able to use his strength, right? It's the same thing. You, when you um, starve the old self within you, he can no longer have strength over you. And so what is the old self? The old self is the system of that sense. What is the new system? The new system, a new self is the person who has no system to sin. And because the old self is completely dead, the new self system is what's being used 100% of the time. That's why it says that he who is born of God does not sin. And remember that the dung fly comes because of the dung within you. But the, Jesus's, the power of the blood of Jesus takes that dung away from you. And so there is no flies. And so the devil tries to deceive you to make you sin. Why do they come to you? Because there's things for them to feed off inside of you. But if that dung is gone, there's nothing for them to eat. So they won't be able to even come close to you. Even if they do come, what's going to come? Not the flies but maybe a bee or a butterfly, right? And so already that's beautiful, right? Bees or butterflies. And so the picture is completely different, right? When you think about flies and when you think about butterflies, amen? And this is who you are, brothers. And yet for many reasons, the, maybe the one problem is that many of you, some of you have never even heard this truth before. Or the other problem is that there's no models of this truth, of this reality in your church. So maybe in Zoe ministry, there are a few models rising up now and here and there. Because I'm not entirely sure about everyone in Zoe ministry. But because in Yerbang Church, that model is very clear, right? And so if you cannot follow after that model, that means that it's your own problem. It means that you are not believing in this truth. And you are not being grateful to that model and to, to the truth and not receiving it in faith. When God created you, brothers... When God created Adam, that he already had this plan for the process of glorification. And in that plan, it was never meant for you to be a worker, for you to simply be a laborer. In God's plan for you, for you, it was never created so that you could be a worker. Now listen carefully. I'm not telling you to be lazy and just waste away. No, what I'm saying is, is you do not, you are not designed to make something of yourself through your own strength. That is actually great deception. And so God did not design you to live by your own strength. Because, in other words, that is not living, that is dying. That as, Romans, as Romans 8 says, 
that we are no longer in, uh, have anything to do with the law of death. But if you fail to believe in this truth, you are under the reign of the law of death. You are under the reign of the law of life. And there are many ways to describe this law of life. But it's people who live by the life that God pours out. And so when you meet with God, you are becoming God, right? Why? Because you are receiving His life. The only difference between you and God is that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone else to give Him anything. But we are dependent on Him. We rely on the life that He pours out. But the essence is the same. And so if we receive His life, then we can live as He lives. That is the design of, of man that God created. In, the, in that design, it never says to live by your strength, live by your thoughts, live by what you know, live by your desires. That's not the design of God for you. He never used, put these kinds of elements in you. And so whenever you try to live by your strength, whenever you try to live by your methods, you have to receive life from somewhere else, a false life. And that false life is the life of Babylon. And the life of Babylon is under the reign of the law of death. And so the law of life is someone who lives by the life they receive. But what about living under the law of death? It's a life that cannot respond to righteousness. What is righteousness? In order for God to meet with us, it is the state that erased the death of sin. And so we do not have the scent of death that comes from sin. Because God is perfectly holy. If there is the scent of death, He cannot come close. And so by covering us through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been confirmed as righteous. And for this reason, we can meet with God. And because He is love, He doesn't want to be separated from you. It's not that I meet with Him because I wanted it first. No, I meet with Him because He cannot bear to not be with me. That's what we need to understand. But what is the law of death? Cannot respond to that righteousness. And so the moment you turn on the computer, the moment you turn on the computer, right, Windows should turn on. Right, and as you input, whenever you input commands into the computer, it responds. Right, that's what we mean by the computer is running. But no matter how much, you, no matter what kind of commands you input, the computer does nothing. Then that means that computer is broken. Right, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't take instructions. It means that that computer is dead, and so cannot respond to righteousness. And so I've been speaking throughout this entire week to live by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
And the first uh, evidence that you are living by the Holy Spirit is that you can respond to righteousness, meaning that you maintain righteousness. And so that means that life is continually being provided for you. And because it's continually being provided, whenever something that is outside of that life tries to come in, you can reject it. And even if even if you receive it a little bit, immediately you understand that this is wrong and you repent through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what a man full of the Holy Spirit will live like. He has the strength to continue to reject these things and he will repent. He will not allow things that are apart from God to remain in him. And for example, if you get um, stomach flu from a certain food, for a while, your body will not like to receive that food. Right? Your body remembers and tries to reject it. Okay. Long time ago, before I believed in Jesus Christ, I used to love alcohol. But when I was an athlete, uh, I was hazed by my, by my seniors. And they made me, they forced me to drink a lot of rice wine. And so even now when I smell rice wine, I, 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 I don't, I, I, I get headaches. I get headaches and, and, and a bad response because I have bad memories. And so the focus isn't on rice wine, brothers. It's, it's rejection, right? This rejection. You understand what I'm talking about? This is the same thing. If you live by the life of God, Anything that isn't life tries to enter into you, you, you will not just receive it. You will not just ignore it. And let's say you have no, none of this feeling whatsoever, that you're not aware of any of these things going on. That means for the most part, you are not living by the Holy Spirit. That for the most part, you cannot respond to righteousness. Means that more than half of what your lifestyle is based on the impulses of your flesh. And so, brothers, examine yourselves. You are basically under the reign of the law of death. And so through this conference, your spirit is loosening up, yes? Some of you have filled, been filled with the Holy Spirit and feel freedom. Then continue in that direction. and continually be sensitive to receiving the righteousness. And as you respond to righteousness, what does that mean? That you're continually meeting with God. That you're continually meeting with God. And so many of you meet with God every now and then. Every now and then you respond to righteousness. And then so when you do, you may feel good but you do not understand the glory that is in the presence of God. Why? Because you spend such a short amount of time with God and so God is in a hurry to give you love in order, so you cannot receive that glory. When God says, hey, you're already somewhere else. That God's like, oh, where is he? Where did he go? I wanted to speak to him. Because you're unable to remain in God's glory. But as you continue to respond to righteousness, you remain in the glory of God's, pre the presence of God's glory longer and longer. 
And that's when you realize that all the mysterious um, phrases in the Bible, the mysterious character of God is no longer mystery. So you realize that, ah, this is the light that emanates from his face. Ah, this is what it means to gaze upon his face, though it may be hazy. Ah, this is what it means by receiving mercy and grace before his throne. And as you continue to respond to righteousness, this is what the experience they will have as they remain in the presence of God's glory. And so there's some of you who despair because you read the Bible and you're like, why does this happen to me? This is not something you should despair about. Rather, realize that you are not investing enough time in, in, in God. You are not investing enough of your being into God. That you spend more time in the world than in the Holy Spirit. And so, what can you do to change that? Continue to respond to righteousness. Keep maintaining fullness of the Holy Spirit. Without this spiritual warfare, you cannot experience all of these things. And so, to Paul, the most important first process of glorification is this inner spiritual warfare, as it says in Galatians 5.16, right? That the desires of the Holy Spirit and the desires of the flesh fight every day. And as it says in Romans 7, how intense is this battle that Paul says what? He says, woe is me, who will rescue me from this body of agony? Excuse me, I'm so sorry. And so as we go down this process of glorification, every single person has to do this fight within themselves, this fight between the old self and the new self. If you don't have that fight, it means you have not begun this process at all. I said any, everyone, 100%, has to go through this fight. And so if you try to begin to respond to the righteousness today, then for a while, you're going to experience this severe battle going on within you. And so to the point that wickedness that you didn't even realize was in you comes up. You thought that you didn't have any immorality, but all of a sudden immorality comes up. And those who have immorality will be stronger, right? Oh, I never had unbelief, and yet why is all this unbelief rising up inside of me? This is, the, this is what happens as your inner battle goes on. But if you don't have this inner battle, you cannot go to glory. Why? Because the power and authority that the king has poured out upon you is amazing things. But the old self will not submit to that power of its own will. You have to use that strength and force it to submit. If not, you cannot go to glory. And so, in grace, everything about Christianity is easy. And that is the truth. Living with God is the easiest thing in the world. And yet, why do some people say that it's difficult? It's not difficult to live with God. 
it's this process that as I try to go to God, this response of the flesh and this obstruction of the devil, that makes it difficult. But think about this. How fair is it? If you live in the flesh for 20, 30 years, you can't just have everything for free. You can't just have your cake and eat it, right? Now, this doesn't mean that because you spent 30 years in the world that you have to fight for 30 years. No, but at the very least, you do need to spend some time struggling. You need to engage in this spiritual warfare. If you look at this from the process of Christianity, this is the process at Gilgal, that it begins when you start with salvation. So 33 years ago when I met with God, I spent 13 years fighting this battle. And in 13 years, I was able to graduate from Gilgal. Why? Because at first, no one was there to teach me. I was the start. And so I had to learn the truth. I had to learn how to pray. And so because I had to start, it took a long time. But this doesn't apply to you, right? Because through me, you are learning everything. And so you don't need to take 13 years as I have. Gilgal should be short. Okay, if you're fast, maybe even in six months. If your IQ is about 250, right, you can graduate from four-year university in six months. Sometimes they don't even go to school. That's the kind of genius that is available to you, right? You are spiritual geniuses. Why are you so quiet? Okay, bless the person next to you. You are a spiritual genius. In faith, declare and proclaim. And so let's graduate from Gilgal as soon as possible and get to Bethel. But Bethel didn't take me long at all. But Jericho, the next step, took a little bit of time. Because Jericho is fighting for dominion over with the um, outside forces. And that's when I begun my pastor ministry. And so the fight against the princes of the air and against the Antichrist was very intense. And so this took me a while. But after that, we get to the banks of the victor- of victory on, on the Jordan, entering into the Sabbath rest of faith. This is your spiritual process. And so this spiritual battle that goes on inside of you should be, should be finished at the beginning. Amen? This may cause despair because you may think to yourself, does that mean that I have not even begun? Yes. Yes, you haven't even begun, okay? Understand? You haven't even begun. Okay, so let's look at this plea to repent in verses 1 and 2. Return, O Israel. O Israel. So when he calls them by Israel... Already we can see that this restoration is in mind because God is calling them by the name Israel. And so when God calls you, He calls you by name. 
No matter what kind of sin I may sin, God never rejects the fact that I'm his child. The Holy Spirit continually confirms within you that you are God's child, up to a point. And whenever you hear that, it means there's still hope, that there's always hope that I can repent. And so you do not need to despair over sin itself. Israel is not destroyed because they have sinned. Israel is destroyed because they did not repent. Even after they sin, what does God do? He caras, he calls them. And we respond to that calling and repent. But it's because they do not repent that they are destroyed. And so we should never be we should never be deceived by the devil because the devil always deceives you thinking that you are finished because you have sinned. And they ignore all your repentance and act as if you've never repented before. No, when I repent, even God doesn't remember my sins anymore. There's only two people who remember. One is who? Is the devil. And who's the second? It's you. <laughs> So these two always try to remember sin. But if you live by the Spirit, if God doesn't consider it an issue, you also don't consider it an issue. If God doesn't remember, I also don't remember. This is the image of those who live by the Spirit. And so, how um, progressive will they be? But those who cannot do that so, it's like when an athlete uh, in order to train, they would put a rubber band around their waist and tie it to tie it to a bar, and then they would run. And so, at first, they would run fast, but but they would feel the weight of this rubber band pulling them back. That's what life is like when uh, when you do not deal with that, when you do not live full with the spirit, because the devil is continually pulling you back. Oh, you sin, you sin, you sin. Okay, so this is important. This is the clear difference between the devil and God. That God, to a certain point, always confirms to you that you are a child of God, even if, even if you sin. And how amazing is this grace? Amen? And so look, you may think like this. Because because God always acknowledges me as his child, that, that all great, that all, I can just sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. Logically speaking, this makes sense. But this is evidence that you are not repenting. <laughs> if you repent, the more you repent, when God acknowledges you as his child, that love gives you the strength to overcome sin. When God acknowledges you as a child of God, and when that repentance becomes true, even if you were to uh, do the same sin, uh, there will be a clear uh, resistance. 
and and from the perspective of and from the perspective of the quality of that sin, there will be a difference, right? Like you will uh, realize that you don't sin. And so as you receive that confirmation that you are the sin, even if you were to do the same sin again, there will be some change that is clear. And as you enter deeper into that love and you truly repent, then what will happen is that you'll have anger against the enemy, rage against the enemy. That is clear. And this is the common thing that happens to all people who live in God. And so if this is clear in your life, it means that you are growing. And so look here. What's evidence that you are not listening to the voice of God is that you try to solve your sins on your own. But if you do not hear the word of God's love, then they fall into despair quickly. Oh, even though I prayed, it doesn't work out. No, it's that you didn't even begun, okay? You didn't begin. It's not that you tried and it didn't work. No, that's a lie. When have you ever tried? You've never even tried. Many of you say that, oh, I prayed, but it didn't happen. No, you didn't pray. Because what does it mean to pray? It means you meet with God. When, have, when did you meet with God? And so even though you didn't receive the truth, you tried on your own to, to solve your own sin. When you meet with God, you will give up on your will. That all oh God is, I cannot pray. I cannot live by my strength. And so you need to have this full despair of your own self. Remember, this despair is not depression or the spirit of despair. The spirit of despair comes from the devil. That spirit of despair is its own strength. And do you know how powerful this strength is? That it's willing to kill it in themselves. So the spirit of despair is actually a very strong force. Many people think that, oh, it's because I have no strength that I, am, I despair. That is a deception, okay? And so let's continue. So return to the Lord your God. Throughout Hosea, he's been continually saying this, that if, unless we align ourselves to God, we cannot do anything. And so this word shub means to return. And so... It, above all things we need to return what does it mean to return we need to stop where we were going and this isn't possible to the people of the world but if you are a child of God no matter how corrupted you may be when grace comes how, what strength does it give you it gives you the strength to return and so if you are not the child of God I don't know but if you are a child of God no matter how corrupted you may get that when you hear that voice, you will return. Look at the prodigal son, right? He asked his father for his inheritance. But God, uh, and his father gives him his inheritance. Because 
because he doesn't want his son to feel like um, hurt by his father. So he, the father gives him his inheritance. That is the heart of God the Father. That's how precious he looks at you. And so he wastes his inheritance away. And yet, that's what's interesting is that he should return, but he doesn't return. That is the danger of sin. How, for, how long, for how long does he fail to return? It's, he doesn't return until there's not even animal feed for him to eat. So that means, spiritually speaking, he's finished. He, he's basically no difference from the people of the world. And yet, here is where grace starts to move. That, oh, in my father's house, even the servants eat better than this. And so from here, he responds to the father. And so if the prodigal son can return to the father, then there's no one in this world that cannot return. If you are a child of God, then this um, grace continually works within you. And when you return to the father, remember, it's not like my father's friend or my friend's father who told his son to return, lying to him, saying that he bought a new guitar and then beat him to death. Right? If it's the old self, that might happen. But our God is not like this. Our God restores and pour, makes, even provides a celebration, a feast. That's why we return. And so above all else, as children of God, we need to return to God. We need to stop wherever it was we were going and return to God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And so because they start to return, they can see their iniquity. When they're in darkness, that iniquity was not clear. They didn't understand why their life was such a struggle, such a suffering. But because they return, they see that iniquity. And so, no matter what sin you sin, in that state, you are, there is no righteousness of God. And remember, what is this iniquity that they're talking about? It's idolatry. That when I'm self-centered and I'm receiving the world, I, that's why I live like this. And it's here when, when you return that they see their iniquity. Ah, I did not live by God but my own strength, and I was receiving the world. It's then that they see that darkness. And so, unless you align your direction to God and return, then you cannot see that wickedness. Some of you are like this, that you are not aligned to God and you're continually heading towards direction, but because your life is so difficult and you sin, oh, I know that this is evil, and you regret it. But that's not repentance, that's just regret. If your direction is not met with God, if your direction is not towards God, you cannot repent. And there's some amongst you who think that this regret is repentance. You need to stop and head, direct yourself towards God and see the light in order to repent. But if you don't turn back, but because of your suffering, right, and because you've heard things in the church, 
and you're like, ah, I know that this is sin. Oh, I know that this is the demon attacking me. And so you regret and you take pity, but, and you fall into despair. That's not repentance. That is reflection. Reflection cannot bring you close to God. You need to first return, turn. Let's say that you are completely influenced by the world and for 24 hours you're sitting in front of the computer. Then the first thing you need to do is turn off that computer, right? And return to God. If you do not stop in the road that you're going down, then you cannot meet with God. But you're continually playing on the computer and saying, oh, it's because of the computer that my life is so ruined. That is the problem, right? And so verse 2. Take with you words and return to the Lord. And so when they return, they do not return just, they do not just return. But if you have received the Holy Spirit, then the word of God is inside of you. And so no matter how corrupted you may get, as long as you are in this earth, the word and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The only difference is that it's not moving inside of you. But this is God's grace, isn't it? That no matter how fallen you get, the Holy Spirit is just not moving, but it's inside of you. The Word is inside of you. And so it, when you align yourself to God and you receive that light, immediately the Word of God starts to be activated inside of you. Immediately, I said. And so this applies to people who, have, who are children of God not to people of the world, right? And so if you're a child of God, though you may have fallen away, you can return in this way. And so finally, the Word of God starts to move inside of you. And what this, there's many aspects to this. But the, word, the light of the Word starts to shine inside of you and lets you see Right, God has been continually saying to Israel that I am Rapha, your healer. And so finally they return to God. And the word uh, comes into them as light. And they can see how much they have been afflicted by the world, how much they have been scarred by the world, how much they have been bound by the world, that oh, I have this scar, I have this wounds, that oh, I have this inferiority complex, I have this shame, I have this guilt. And as that light gets stronger and stronger, you see this more clearly that, oh, I have this shame from the world. I have this kind of evil binding me down, oppressing me. And as that light of the gospel gets dark, brighter and brighter, you're able to see more clearly, with more detail, this wickedness inside of you. And that's why we say that the word of God is a lamp to my feet. And you need to experience this, that the word being light to you. And so the problem isn't that the world is dark. Even no matter how dark the world may get, as long as light is inside of me, then I will not be shaken in my way. And you say that, oh, it's because the evil world is so evil. Oh, the world is so wicked. It's because I don't have that money. It's because I don't have this person. That is a deception. It's because you do not have light inside of you. If there's light inside of you, nothing will shake you. If you live by the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, and when that structure is formulated inside of you, 
You will not be shaken by outside fact forces. The reason why you're so shaken by outside forces is because you are not moving according to the order of the Holy Spirit within you. God, our God is a God of order. Even when you look in the Milky Way, there's more than two billion stars in the Milky Way. And so, what you should not doubt is that no matter how this world changes, especially since it's going to be great tribulation, for example, let's use the example of Revelations. Uh, until the first half of the tribulation, uh, we will participate in the same sufferings as the world. I mean, honestly, it has nothing to do with us, but we do go through it because we are in this world. But when you get to the pinnacle of that tribulation, that is talking about uh, non-believers, not us believers. This doesn't mean that we have left this earth. But just as there was light in Goshen where Israel was, the Word and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us will be activated at 100%. And this is kind of an awkward phrase, but... How much, how active is the Holy Spirit within you? 5%? Some of you probably not even 1%. And so when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles and the Deacons at this time, they were using about 50% of full activity of the Holy Spirit. I've had that experience as well. That's why I believe it's about 50%. But when you take 50%, already your body can move 30 kilometers in an instant. It's not a fairy tale. But in these end times, in the tribulation, we'll be using the, the Holy Spirit will be active in us almost perfectly. It won't be 100%, but very high. And when Jesus returns at the end of that tribulation, the Holy Spirit will uh, explode to 100%. And so as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that as the Holy Spirit explodes inside me, that this tent of my flesh will melt away or be taken away. And inside of me, the resurrection body will come. And this is what's going to happen when the power of the Holy Spirit is restored fully upon us. So even now, Though every one of you has the same Holy Spirit inside of you, some live tied to this earth, or others have amazing actions happen. What does this mean? It's even though we all have the same Holy Spirit, it's who is not limiting that Holy Spirit. And so brothers, do not be deceived. That the factors of this world and, and the devil is not what's affecting you. 
what's affecting you is how much you are not limiting the Holy Spirit and the Word inside of you. So let it loose within you. The reason why you are unable to defeat sin is not because sin is powerful. No, because you do not let loose the power of the blood inside of you. Do not be deceived, brothers. You are not suffering because the devil is strong. No, you are not letting loose the Holy Spirit, which is stronger than the devil inside of you. This is what you are being deceived on. Okay? So do you believe, brothers? Amen? Cube, do you believe? And so we return to the Lord and we return with words. And it's not that this word is something that you didn't have and came to you. No, the word inside of you is activated. So as I said earlier, when you live by the Holy Spirit, it means you respond to righteousness. And the, how do you respond to righteousness? How does that righteousness come to you? It comes to you through the words. And when we talk about words, what are we talking about? We're talking about the promise of God. As it says in 2 Peter 1, that, that, that great promise, which is the divinity inside of you, the power of, the, of God inside of you. So when you believe in this word, what happens inside of you is that you realize that this word is power. That, ah, that the promise of God is the power of God. And so there are many aspects to why you fall to sin. But one of the aspects is that the power of the word of God is not able to have dominion in you. For example, it's like this. Let's say that you see a beautiful woman and so you're filled with lustful desire. And the reason why you can reject that sin is because the word inside of you moves. Hey, that's immorality. (coughs) And so if you live by the Spirit, you will respond immediately to that, saying that, ah, this is sin. And the Holy Spirit will confirm, yes. And then the power of the blood will move immediately. And it will delete that sin, erase that sin inside of you. And in that process, of course, there's repentance, right? And so this process is continually moving in your life. This is what it means to respond to life. Respond to life. Amen? And so let's look at the second half of verse 2 and verse 3. And so when they return to God, how do they pray? Okay. uh, Take away all iniquity. And so because they return to God and the light comes to them, they see that they have righteousness. And because they see that righteousness, they see things that go against that righteousness. And so they pray to take away this iniquity. That, ah, this was my sin. And so let's say you're repenting and you do not know what is sin. That means light has not yet come. 
like this. So as I said earlier, like the desires of the Babylon, because these are really deeply embedded inside of you, if you do not live immersed in light for a while, you will not be able to recognize this easily. But all sins is a response to the information that's in your mind. And so when the light of God comes upon you, it reveals all these darknesses. For example, hurts and wounds, inner wounds. Uh, these wounds that control what's inside your mind, when light comes, that ah, when I was speaking to this person, this was a reaction in wounds. But what about when you are in your mother's womb or when you are really, really young? These wounds are embedded deep in your unconscious. And so if you do not receive the light for a while, it's not easy for it to be revealed. And so when it says you do not know your sin, it means that you do not know how, what's in your mind. But when the light comes, when the word moves, ah, this was sin. Ah, this was immorality moving me when I spoke to this person. Ah, when I was speaking this, it was from a selfish perspective. These kinds of things happen immediately, right? But uh, for those of you who have habitualized sin, for example, you are habitualized in immorality, then at first it's not going to be easy to recognize that immorality as sin. And so that's what I mean that it's dangerous to be habitualized in sin. Let's say you continually speak in unbelief, but you do not realize that you are committing the sin of unbelief. It's because you have personified unbelief. So apart from these things, the things that are deep within you, and then these personified sins, apart from these things, everything else is a response in the mind. And so when the word of God shines upon them, they know what sin is. And so it makes it possible to repent. And this application doesn't come out of your research. No, it's because the Holy Spirit groans within you. Because the word of God shines its light upon you, and so you're able to see all these things. And so what does it say here? He says, take away all iniquity. And when God created you, he created you with free will. And so, unless you respond, God is not going to compel you to do anything. He's not going to force you to do anything. And that's why it's dangerous to attend seminars of spiritual healing, inner healing. Because they try to force this healing of themselves. Then what happens is that it doesn't become part of their own ability. They have easily scarred again. Or maybe the demon surfaces and is, and is not cast out. And that kind of demon just takes part of their life. And so, uh, through inner I've met someone like this. That through inner healing, the demon surfaced, but they don't know what to do with it. And so, what's important is not forcing yourself, but you have free will. And so, when you respond using that free will, God heals you. Now, 
every now and then there are situations where I have to cast out demons regardless of that person's will or not. But for the most part, even casting out demons um, cannot be forced because if so, that demon will come back and they'll get more worse from what they started. God respects your free will. Accept what is good. And remember, in Hosea, good is God's love. And so because they return to God, they get to this relationship where they freely receive God's love and love God. You may have this experience, brothers. That while you're in darkness, everything is annoying, everything is a nuisance, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in and you just automatically become voluntary and you're filled with joy, right? That's what this is describing here. And so when you live with the Holy Spirit, it's like you're crazy, kind of. And so look. It'd be great if you were constant in the Holy Spirit, but someone who's constant in their own personality, uh, he always has has few words. Oh, he's a man of few words. That's a bad thing. And so the first stage, what should happen is you should go up and down, up and down. This is actually a good thing. Because when the Holy Spirit's there, you're an angel. But when the Holy Spirit's not there, you're a devil. You go up and down, up and down. But as you maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you're always rejoicing. And you, and, and you find um, security in that. That's what needs to happen. That's what's going here, okay? It's going up and down, up and down. And so take what is good. Accept what is good. And the emphasis of good in Hosea is what is righteousness and justice, covenant love and, and knowledge of God. And so when you receive God's love, you receive his righteousness. You don't need to use your mind. In love, all of this is in it. And so you receive God's righteousness. And so the moment you receive love, you're already intimate with God. And then it also comes with God's hesed, that ah, I am God's child, that I am dignified in God. This all happens instantly in love. And then you're filled with the desire for the knowledge of God to experience God. And so, if you have that desire, that means you are in a right relationship with God. And so the more you maintain this direction and towards God, then your desire to know God will grow deeper and deeper. Oh, how can I get deeper with God? What can I do to hear God's voice more? And this desire growing is a sign that your spirit is saying, accept what is good. And so this uh, beautiful desire is goodness to God. 
It comes from God's personality, God's character. Meaning that inside of you, the image of God is being applied. Amen? So let's continue. Uh, we will, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. And so because they return to God and their spirits have been restored, what kind of offering do they give? It's not an offering of bulls or sacrifice, but the sacrifice of our lips. And so already we see that this isn't restoration of Old Testament Israel. It's not a restoration of the sacrificial worship, but the sacrifice of praise and of our lips. And so what this is testifying to is that my, the words of my lips and my life, there is no separation. So if you live by the Holy Spirit, it's not just your spirit transforming, but your entire being transforms. It's like, what's confirmation of salvation? Right? It's the renewal of rebirth and the washing of the Holy Spirit. And so you receive in faith righteousness, and you live that righteousness out. It's faith, righteousness, life. These three always go hand in hand. And we call this assurance of salvation. And so if you live by the Holy Spirit, my life transforms, my faith transforms, and I become the state that can receive God's righteousness. And so I've been continually dealing with your issues. The problem is, is that you're unable to maintain this state for a long time. But that's all you have to keep doing. Keep going for that. And so when he says, I give the vows of my lips, it's like Abel and his offering and Cain and his offering. Because in Cain's offering was his life. In his worship is his life. As it says in Romans 12, 1, that at your holy sacrifice, right? As your holy worship. And so your offer your life as spiritual worship, right? And so you live your life as a living sacrifice, as worship. That's the state that is being described here. And so Hosea has amazing revelation in throughout his entire book. And so many New Testament authors use Hosea, quote Hosea. And so this verse was quoted in Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 15. In Hebrews 13, it talks about the three sacrifices, the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of good deeds, the sacrifice of 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 uh, of service, and so praise, deeds, and and offering. That all of these things are melted into your life. 
And so your praise being this sacrifice of praise isn't just simply your spiritual state rising up to a certain level. No, it's your entire life rising up. That all of your beautiful thoughts and desires are melting into that praise. This is worship in your entire being. As I said in Psalms 113, that all that is within me, praise the Lord. And so your spirit, your soul, and your flesh is all aligned to worship God. No separation. This, rest, this kind of sacrifice is going to be restored. This worship is going to be restored. When? Through Jesus' coming to this earth and to those who will receive the Spirit of God will restore this worship. And so this is restoration isn't regarding Israel, but it's regarding the church of God and the church that will, is to come in this, in this glorious age. And look at this beautiful worship. How amazing will that community be? Amen? So moving on, verse 3. Assyria shall not save us. And so their decision that they make is that oh, I will not live by Babylon any longer. How amazing is that? Finally, through this glorious worship, they make this commitment. And so whatever worship you do, in that worship, when you meet with God, you will make these commitments that I will no longer live like this. And so without this decision, without this um, determination, it means that you did not uh, worship in spirit and in truth. If you worship in spirit and truth, there are the five sacrifices. There's the peace offering, the uh, atonement offering, and then and then the, the, the fellowship offering and then the burnt offering this burnt offering is talking about determination, decision that before God I shall live like this and so we must live worship in spirit and in truth and when you meet with God in that worship there will be this determination ah this was my iniquity and so people who meet with God will repent in this way and so clear evidence that you have met with God is repentance. That, ah, this has displeased God. And so this week, I'm going to be victorious and overcome this sin. And so you will finish that worship in that feeling of victory. And so today, as well, if you're meeting with God, you will be filled with the joy of victory. Amen? And so they make this determination to not live by Babylon any longer. That I will not, Assyria shall not save us. And that means that they will not live by the strength that Assyria provides. What else does he say? We will not ride on horses. This is not saying that, oh, they're not going to race horses. It's the same uh, principle as earlier, right? That they will not live by the strength of weapons, that they will not worship strength as Babylon does, that they will not worship power. And so they realized what deceived them. Ah, I'm not destroyed because the world is strong. Rather, I did not work in God. 
This is really important. That is the deception that many of you guys have, is you think that the world is powerful, that the world has great strength, that the devil has strength. No, this is all a lie. It's because you do not let loose who is inside of you. When you let him loose, you will win over everything. That the moment he is loose inside of you, you would realize how empty this world is. You would realize that the devil is nothing. And so even if you were to be oppressed by the devil, you will never acknowledge their greatness, never acknowledge their victory, never acknowledge their power. This is the image of of one who lives with the Holy Spirit. And so we will will not ride on horses and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. And because they do not choose the desires of Babylon, they no longer have the desire for idolatry. They no longer try to deify their own desires, right? Because they... But let's, let's think about the opposite. If you keep living by Babylon, every moment by moment, you are setting up memorials for your own desires. Look at King Saul. Wherever Saul went, he would erect a memorial. What about David? David never makes a memorial to himself. Even the crown itself has no meaning to him. All he does is memorialize God. And so those who live by their desires, who live by their impulses, they're always making idols. To some of you, idols surround you like walls. That is the image of those who live selfishly. That's terrifying, isn't it? But now that God's light is shining, they finally see and recognize what idolatry truly is. In you, the orphan finds mercy. What does this mean? Remember that God answers the prayer of the orphans and the widow. Why? Because they are beings who cannot live without God. And so to Israel who has been restored... Now they are the same. They are like orphans. That God answers the prayer of orphans. And so to Israel who needs God, no matter what, then of course God will answer their prayers. And so what is restored here? Their relationship to God. And what is this relationship? Relationship with Abba Father. Up until this point, they've been continually talking to Israel that that God is your Father. And this this relationship is restored. And ultimately, what, does, what is the focus of this restoration? That ask whatever it is in my name and I will give it to you. That when I pray to Abba Father, he receives that prayer. And so that's why they can survive. Because if Creator God answers 100% your prayer, will you survive or not? Will you survive or not? Even though you may be in poverty, even though you may be in suffering, and yet everything that God, everything you need to survive, will God not provide? Even if you don't have, God will bring it to you. And that's why I say to the business people of our church that now is the opportune time. Now is the opportune time. Expand your company now. And so as we are doing uh, the blessing ministry, I blessed Ant Engineering. And the very next day, a $300,000 contract came in. 
Oh no, $3 million contract. And so this is the authority of the Church of God. I'm very, I'm very grateful for this $3 million contract. And then I also heard rumors that there was another $5 million contract. Hyunji, where are you? You're not sure? But I'm very grateful. Why am I grateful? Because they're going to offer that to God, the very first contract. So already uh, $900,000 $900, entered, amen? Right? With $900,000, we can enjoy a good meal, right? <laughs> We're grateful. And so look, it's not about money. This is the image of the, of the way the children of God live. That whenever they pray, God answers. And we're looking for a $10 million to build a new building. And I do not doubt. Because the money itself is not important to me. God will answer when I pray. He will answer. Why? Because that is the covenant I have with God. That whatever you pray, I will answer. That as long as he doesn't give up his place as the creator, he will keep his promise. Amen? Do you not have this kind of faith? I guess you do not have this faith. Say amen. <laughs> if you are a child of God, you need to have this faith. Amen? Loudly. <laughs> okay. Um, the world is half men and half women. Why can't you get married? Is it because you don't have faith? Tewan, would you like to get married next year? What do you mean? The road is wide. Why does your brother have to go first? No, you can go first. I think you have a little bit more um, potential because you have a little bit more immorality than your brother. Okay, let's continue. Verse 4 to 8. And so he, this is his response to this repentance. So let's see this answer in verse 4 to 8. I will heal their apostasy. And so this word apostasy is meshu, which means not return. And so it's when they don't return that their entire being is saturated in the desires of Babylon. The more God calls, we should have drawn nearer and nearer, right? And so look, this doesn't require any imagination at all. Just understand that your state is in one or the other. Either when God calls, you get closer or you're going away. There's no one who stands still when God calls. And so when you don't draw near when he calls, you are going closer to the world. You are receiving all the, all the influence of the world. 
and that response becomes clear. It's hurts, wounds, shame, inferiority complex, guilt. These things are being saturated inside of you. But when you return to God, God Rafa, He heals you, your apostasy. He doesn't just you, He doesn't just turn back. Your entire being is being made holy, is being sanctified. Amen. And so we need to return to God every day. We need to turn to God every day. When he says, I will heal their apostasy, it means that he's going to transform even your fleshly desires. As it says in Romans 8, 5, because the flesh itself is an enemy to God. Because this old self rebels against God is apostasy. What does it mean to rebel? It means that I deny you as king. I want to change the king. That is what rebellion is, right? And so the more your flesh multiplies inside of you, the more you think that God should not be king. Oh, let me live however I want. Why do you try to control me? Why do you try to control me? That is rebellion, right? And so the more you live in the old self, the more you want to change the king. And that's what's being healed. So if you do not live by God, I can see it in your face. Because there's some of you who has this strong rebellion in your, that emanates from your face. And what is this rebellion? It means that you are living by the flesh. You are living by Babylon. You are allowing the old self to grow inside of you. And so you need to be aware whether this energy is inside of you or not. The more this rebellion grows inside of you, the more you are hooked by the Antichrist. Remember, who is the Antichrist? The Antichrist rebels against God. And so whether you are influenced by the world, influenced by immorality, influenced by diverse spirits, whatever it may be, it's all under the control of the Antichrist. And through all of these spirits, what it does is it makes you rebel against God. And so look at Israel. Every moment by moment, whenever they rebel against Moses, who are they rebelling against? They're rebelling against God. That is the Antichrist. And that's what God is healing. He will take away their flesh. And oppositely speaking, then what about people of God? What are they? They're obedient. They are meek. And so those who are meek and obedient do not have this rebellion. Okay, let's look at your faces. Let's see which one of you has rebellion. Oh, there's one in the back over there. Oh, oh, look at him trying to cover his face. There he is. What is, if you have rebellion, that strength grows, right? And so they are a pincushion of wounds and hurts. They are not rebelling because they want to rebel, rather because they have so many hurts, because they have so many scars, they try to protect themselves by saying, don't touch me, don't touch me. And so if you do not know whether you have hurts or not, no, you need to understand that you are full of hurts. To someone who rebels, they are filled with hurts and wounds. And when you open yourself up, that's when you'll be able to see those wounds. Wounds towards your father, wounds towards your, to being poor, 
wounds to people who are more talented than you, wounds to people who are more beautiful than you. All of the things in life become a wound to you. And I've ministered to several homosexuals before. It's the same thing with homosexuality. For the most part, when you look at homosexuals, it's all hurts and wounds. And so, of course, they rebel against God. But why do they rebel? Because of these hurts and wounds. Hurts to their parents. Hurts between their friends. And if they're a man, hurts towards the opposite sex, towards the woman. And because of this strength, this energy, this force make, uh, drives them to homosexuality. There are some people who have, retur- who have returned from homosexuality through casting out of demons. And so homosexuality is about spiritual matter. It's not a physical matter. It's a spiritual matter. And so when you rebel against God, what you need to realize is that you are full of hurts and wounds. And so when you rebel, you can't help but live by the force of powerlessness. Right? If you rebel against God, of course you will be powerless. Now to a certain point, you may think that you have strength, but you will be able to do nothing. And then what else does it say? I will love them freely. So because they return, of course God loves them, right? This is ahav. And this word freely isn't just simply free, but joyfully and completely. That completely. That he receives you in joy. He rejoices in taking. When the prodigal son returns, right, as the father sees him coming from the distance, what does the father do? He runs to him. He runs to him and says, my father has returned, or my son has returned. That's how he loves. How amazing is this love, amen? That's how God loves you, brothers. For my anger has turned from them. And so if he loves, that means there's no anger. If he doesn't love, there is anger then. This is clear, okay? You need to understand this. This is the order of things. Many people think this. God may not love me, but he is also not angry at me. No, do not be deceived. If God doesn't love you, it means that he is angry with you. And if he is angry with you, it means his love is not upon you. And so do not ignore this. I say again, if God loves you, he is not angry with you. So you cannot think to yourself that oh, he doesn't love, but at the same time, he's not angry with me. No, in spiritual speaking, there is no middle ground. If I'm not holding on to God, it doesn't just end with me not having God. It means I'm holding on to something else. I'm holding on to the world. This order is clear. If I'm not believing in God, it doesn't just end with unbelief. It means I believe in something else. This order must be clear in your mind. Many people have this misconception. That, uh, it's just simply God doesn't love me but at the same time he's not angry at me that is deception if he doesn't love you it means he is angry with you but this anger has has been uh, has been turned 
And so, without God, your life is always under God's anger. This is something that believers and non-believers instinctually know. They know that they are under God's wrath. And so that's why they try to make something of themselves to, to, to uh, avoid that fact. So, right, they spend their money in, in trying to make money. They spend their energy in trying to raise good children or trying to be a good man. So moving on, verse 5. What does it say? I will be like the dew to Israel. Dew, it might go, disappear very quickly. And yet... To the plant life in the wilderness, this dew is the most important source of life. And as long as the dew comes every morning, these plants will survive. And so what this means is that God is going to provide life to Israel again. Remember, we are not um, self-sufficient, right? We depend on God. And so as long as God's life is continually being poured out upon us, we can live like God. But the important thing is that that life needs to be continually there. And so that's why we need to keep our directed towards Him, keep coming before Him, keep receiving His grace, keep receiving His mercy. Remember, mercy is the, is the source of His life. As we saw in chapter 6, that when you dig deep and deep into God, what comes out is mercy. Amen? And for this reason, we continually live because we receive that life from God. And so when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, this keeps happening inside of us. Even now, that life is being provided for you. All who are thirsty, all who are thirsty, come to the fountain, for I will give you true drink. This doesn't come from outside, but as it says in John 7, 14, that within your belly will burst forth springs of living water. Living water will burst forth like springs bursting from within you. Can you not feel this living water bursting up inside of you? Right? The sound of water makes as it's poured out of a bottle. Quar, 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 quar. <laughs> and so this life bursts forth from within you. And see, when you live by the, like the Holy Spirit, you realize that life is being provided for you. And I feel this whenever we do these conferences. There are times where I get so exhausted, so exhausted that my tongue is turning within me and I can't feel like I, can, I feel like I can't go any further. So Yun Jung, you take over from here. You take over from here. I cannot do it anymore. But the moment I say that within me, this life bursts forth. This life bursts forth. And so, like in that movie, that movie, right? The guy who just gets up. Right? He just comes up, right? He comes back to life. I think that's a Japanese or a Chinese vampire, but anyways. Um, and then uh, he shall blossom like the lily. What is this lily? The lily is a very common uh, flower that you can see in the wilderness of Judah. And they're going to blossom like this beautiful lily. Excuse me. 
And so the life of Jesus is beautiful. That's what it's saying. And so it blossoms. That the most beautiful lily is blossoming. The world says that there's much beauty in the world, but there's nothing beautiful in the world. Only thing beauty is God. And so that beauty will blossom. Really, true beauty is not in, in pretty faces or these kinds of things. No, true beauty is those who restore the goodness of God. You, in your, your spiritual eyes, you need to be able to see that. And so sisters, listen carefully. Okay? It's not about you transforming your face, putting on a new face. No, if you are truly restoring God's goodness in you, then you will be beautiful. And so look at the mother of Yorbang Church, right? How beautiful is she, right? What more needs to be said? Okay, he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. Right, what are these trees? These trees are very large trees, cedar trees that are tall and big. And so though it may be the smallest seed, it grows into the largest tree, right? Spiritually good big tree. And so this is what is restored to you when you receive the life of God, the most beautiful flower and the greatest tree. This is God's promise to his church. And yet why does the church end up becoming a miniature tree? It's because the truth does not enter into them. Because this life is not going inside of them. This perfect life and truth, as it's provided and pours out, giving nutrients to the church, the church will grow as this spiritually great tree, this spiritually beautiful flower. Amen? So moving on, verse 6. His shoots shall spread out. Right? This is influence. As we also saw in Mark, right, uh, the parable of the mustard seed, it grows into a tree that has branches so big that all the birds of the air can rest on it, right, influence. His beauty shall be like the olive. What is an olive tree? Olive tree is aromatic, right? It smells very nice. Right, olive tree. Right, it's talking about the oil, right? The oil, and so anointing of the king. This anointing is given to you. And so even now, the anointing of the king is flowing to you. The golden oil is flowing. And so it's talking about uh, splendor, splendor and glory, right? Splendor and glory that you will, that the kingly dignity will be restored to you. And his fragrance like Lebanon. And so we talked about the cedar trees of Lebanon. It's a great tree, but it's not just simply great as in size. But it's also very fragrant. It's aromatic. And so bugs don't come. And so that's why uh, the temple was built with these trees. And so what does that mean? That that is the temple of God that is built inside of you. Really, you are God's tabernacle. You are the tent of God. Amen? 
And so these are the things that you need to meditate upon. What does it mean that you are God's temple? What does God do in his temple? He determines the fate of the world, right? That is happening inside of you. And so when you believe that you are God's temple, then you cannot receive filthy things, polluted things of the world. How dare would you sacri- um, um, uh, destroy the purity and the holy of where God's spirit is? And so we need to see this restoration of the eschatology here. This is what's being restored inside of you, brothers. Amen? So verse 7. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. This can be interpreted in two ways. That right, as you go into him, is talking about the shadow, right? The shadow of a tree. Meaning that uh, the Israel and the Gentile would become one. And so right in the eschatology, all Israel and the Gentiles would be one. But this could also be God. The shadow could also be God. That those who dwell in him shall return. This is speaking of the remnant. And so those who dwell in God shall return. So this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the end times. It's the season where the remnant gather. So right now, it may be small in number, but the remnant is rising up all over the world. You need to believe that you this is who you are. That in these end times, God is raising up his remnant. And as he's raising up his remnant, you need to believe that this is who you are. It may not be many numbers, but God is calling his remnant all over the world. Why, even though in my old age, am I going all over the world? Because God is raising up his remnant all over the world. And even though I have to invest a lot of money, a lot of time, why do I do this? Because this is the season that God is raising up his remnant. And so there are two uh, interpretations here. When the Gentiles and the Israel returns, this is when Jesus comes. But the remnant returning is right before that moment. And that's the season that we are living in. Amen? Open your eyes, brothers. Open your eyes and see that in these end times, who is God interested in? His focus is on the remnant. Why? Because through these remnant, as it says in Isaiah 37, will prepare the way of the Lord. Amen? 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 Let us continue. Uh, They shall flourish like the grain, meaning that they will be prosperous, right? And so the reason why this world is not ending right now is because the remnant reign. Uh, Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. And they shall blossom like the vine. What does this mean? They shall blossom like the vine? That when, how do you know that there will be lots of grapes? It's when there's lots of flowers on the vine. That means that there will be abundant harvest. 
And so we are no longer living in a season where the word doesn't bear much fruit. Through the remnant, all fruit will be born once again. As it says in Ezekiel 47, or 37, that bearing fruit every month, it is now the season for us to offer fruit to God. He wants to receive your fruit, the fruit of your life, the fruit of your ministry, the fruit of your character. The fruit of, of living in God it is now the season for God to harvest that. Amen? What else does it say? Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. And Lebanon was famous for two things. Was famous for the cedars and for the wine. And so their fame, this word fame, is, is written as memorial. Right? Talking about fame and honor. And so your honor will be like the fame of the wines of Lebanon. And so these are, and so on, in the remnant in the end times are those who have been hidden. But now when that rem, end times happen, God will give them fame and honor. It's not meaning that they will be recognized by the world, but rather that their names will be names that instills fear in the Antichrist. And with that fame, when God's kingdom comes, we will be under praise and honor from God. And so in these end times, your name is a name that brings fear to the devil. Amen? Though the devil may proclaim that the world is his, he is unable to believe so because, because God is uh, raising up his remnant. And so they're afraid. They're afraid that we control every church in the world, that we control every religion. And yet there's these remnant. Oh, we got to be careful because of these remnant. And so even now they're sending spies out to see where the remnant are, looking for where these remnant are. And so raise your hand if you're a spy from the Antichrist. <laughs> they're afraid. They want to control, completely control the church, but they're unable to. And they know. They know that Zoe ministry is the remnant. And so, obviously, you're going to receive a lot of attacks, right? But hey, it's okay, right? That's okay. Verse 8. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? What is he saying here? He's declaring that you are completely separated from Babylon. This is the prophecy of Zechariah 5. The church, the glorious church that is completely separated from Babylon. Even now, God is raising up this church. Amen? Right now, these churches are rising up all over the world. And Yorban Church is entering into this season. Amen? And so those who are bound to Babylon can no longer remain with our church. They need to leave. Because we are living in the season for the revelation of this glorious church that is completely separate from Babylon. It is the fulfillment of Zechariah 5. 
where idolatry is completely wiped off, that we no longer live by Babylon. Amen. And so what does John say in 1 John 5.21? Children, keep yourself from idols. It's not just a simple statement, but rather that every desire of Babylon has been removed from us. We are living in this amazing time of restoration. Amen? Continue. It is I who answer and look after you. So Jesus is our counselor, our comforter. So too the Holy Spirit. So what does this say? That Jesus' role as our comforter is 100% restored to us. And so the Holy Spirit is helping you, but because of your desire of the Babylon, um, the Holy Spirit is not able to fully comfort you, counsel you. But as this desire gets removed, the Holy Spirit can perfectly act as your comforter, as your counselor. As I said in the beginning of this conference, that it is the season where you open yourself up completely to the Holy Spirit. This is the season where the work of the Holy Spirit will be revealed 100%. We'll see the Red Sea split again, manna coming. We will see the laws of nature being completely flipped upside down. His power and authority will be limitlessly revealed. That is the season that is right before your face. For the past 20 years, there, there have been many great miracles in Zoom ministry. If we compare that to the miracles that is to come, it is but a taste, but a taste. Amazing works are about to happen, amen? Let us have great expectations. Look after you. The season for his counselship, for his comfort to come 100%, amen? Aren't you excited? Aren't you excited? I'm excited that we are the main players of this prophecy. Amen? I am like an evergreen cypress. This is the only place God describes himself, compares himself with a tree. Why does he compare himself with a tree? Because many times idolatry would always put a tree as a symbol. And even though they would use this tree as a symbol, that tree doesn't bear fruit. But through this evergreen cypress, from me comes your fruit, right? Look at that expression. And so look at your life. This, your confirmation of salvation comes from what? Comes from bearing lots of fruit. And God is going to show you, you bearing fruit, your character changing, your, char- your ministry changing, your personality changing, your worship changing, your prayer changing. These kinds of fruit are going to be born. And so from me comes your fruit. It's not out of my efforts. It's not out of my ability. Right? A plant, as long as it's planted in the ground and receives nutrient, then the branches will bear fruit automatically. And so he's going to show you this proper relationship, this right relationship. Does the vine struggle, work, work to bear fruit? Does the vine work to bear grapes? No. 
Lastly, verse 9. Now, all that's left is for your decision. Are you going to go down the path of righteousness or down the path of iniquity? Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. And so in these end times, what does God give to his remnant? He gives them wisdom and discernment. Hallelujah. Wisdom and discernment. Why is wisdom and discernment important? If you look at Ephesians 1.8, that through wisdom and discernment, we know the will of God. So even now, knowing the will of God is not a difficult thing, right? But in these end times to the remnant, we're living in a season where 100% of God's will will manifest in us. And there are many aspects to this promise. But as it says in Amos 3, 7, that God does not work without first revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So in these end times, because uh, God's servants will rise up, there's no secrets between God and his servants. So they will know God's will. And so more than ever, God pours out wisdom and understanding like water. And in this last session, brothers, God will gift you this wisdom and understanding. Let us take this as spoil of war. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the principle that rules over this universe. This wisdom understands how this universe works. And this wisdom, this dominion has also power. And so Rome, uh, Proverbs 8 is the, is, the, is the chapter of wisdom. And so the authority to, over spirit, the authority over materials, the authority over people. It comes from what? It comes from wisdom. Because the word of God dwells inside of me, we have this wisdom. And we are living in the season where this wisdom will manifest itself 100% without limit. Let this anointing of wisdom and discernment flow freely upon us. And another word for discernment is understanding. It's understanding who God is. So when you look at Proverbs, there are three streams that bring wisdom. Wisdom gives knowledge. Uh, Sorry, no. Okay, knowledge gives discernment, understanding, and discernment gives knowledge, and knowledge gives self-control. And so when you have wisdom, all these streams flow. So receive it in faith right now. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and self-control. And so he who has wisdom understands God. And when and knowledge is experiencing God. Ah, this is what God's power is. And so you experience that power. And this is God's love. Ah, this is God's authority. And so this all comes in the source of wisdom and then self-control. That because God's power is inside of you, you know how to distribute that power, when to go, when to stop. Self-control is very important, very important. Even in in the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is one of it, right? 
And so in these end times, to God's remnant, he pours out wisdom and understanding. He pours out wisdom and revelation. It's the same context. That you see God's manifestation every day, everywhere. Where is God working? Where is God's direction? Is he going left or to the right? This manifestation will be clear to you. This is what it means to be the remnant. Hallelujah. And then here it says for, key, the word key in Hebrew, for. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them. And so in Proverbs it says that the wise are those who are righteous, they are upright. And so who is wicked? They are foolish. It's the same context here. Wisdom, righteousness, upright. All of this is the image of the remnant. What does it mean to have an upright spirit? It means that you are right with God. Your relationship with God is right. As we said throughout Hosea, who is the wicked? The wicked live for themselves and they live out a lie. But the righteous is different. The righteous has a right relationship with God. They have a, a honest relationship with God. That they are not hiding anything from God. That God knows everything. And so they can walk in God's righteousness. They do not move to the left or to the right. The world gets darker and darker, but to us, we have the light of God, and we know where we are going. But what is dark? So what is the problem? The problem isn't about darkness. The problem is, is that light shining in you? Amen? But transgressors stumble in them. Why do they stumble? Because they do not see. But we have light, and so we do not stumble. Amen? So here ends the word of the Lord, and so let us pray. Okay, we're not finished. We have to gather at four, okay? Should we not gather at four? I'm looking at your faces, and your faces look as if, like, oh, why are we gathering? I'm so tired. If you don't want to come, you do not have to be here. Okay, God is going to do amazing things. So enjoy your meal. Eat until your stomach bursts. And then come back crying out and praising God. Amen? And digest everything that you eat. And so let us pray. Let us pray. We need to pray. We need to pray powerfully. So in this last session, last session, that receive powerful anointing of wisdom and understanding. Okay. Uh, if you were to describe Zoe ministry in one word, would you describe it as ministry of the Holy Spirit? Yes. But it is a ministry of wisdom. Zoe ministry comes from the wisdom of God. Even ministry is wisdom. Sermon is wisdom. Everything is the wisdom of God. So you may... Is any of you like Pastor Mino Kim's IQ is 89? Oh, he looks dumb and he acts dumb. Do I feel dumb to you? Do I feel ignorant to you? Honestly, my IQ is 89. Really. That was always the sense of my inferiority in high school. And because of this inferiority, I, would, I went to uh, the zoo and tried talking to a monkey. Hey, monkey, I heard that your IQ is the same as me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I can laugh at this now, but at that time, it was 
great uh, travesty for me. But look, God's wisdom is not like that. It sees how the universe works. It sees how this world works. And it has the authority to reign over creation. So should we have this wisdom or not? We must have it. And also, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit has this wisdom. So it's now time to unleash that wisdom. Amen? And so, I believe that the work of the rest of the remnant will be restored today. And so, Lord, let us pray upon your beloved young adults. Pour out the anointing of wisdom. That in these end times, in these end times, where we will see wisdom being unleashed upon the remnant, Lord, may that anointing come today. You shall be filled. You shall be filled with that anointing. Let us pray all together. Pour it out even more, Lord. Hallelujah. More powerfully, God. More, Lord. Okay, uh, laying on the hands, I will do it after uh, in the afternoon. I may not preach, but I will lay my hands upon you. I will give you impartation at four. And there will be strong anointing, uh, anointing of wisdom. And so if you don't need that impartation, then go ahead and go home. So let's pray once again. Okay, we need to pray until 12. And then take a picture, okay? And we'll come forward to take a picture. And so, Lord, in this last session, pour out the anointing of oil, uh, anointing of wisdom. Don't pray for anything else. Lord, may your golden anointing um, enter into the middle of my brain and completely transform my mind. That the authority that reigns over the history of man, over the history of this world, may it um, immerse us, Lord, and pour more of that anointing out, Lord. Explode, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord, we thank you. Pour out your anointing 100%. And through these young adults, may their churches be transformed. And may you begin the restoration of the remnant through them. And may that sign of that revival begin today. That when we gather again, may we finish by seeing that beginning of that amazing work. All this offering throughout this uh, conference, may you receive it. May it please you. And Lord, may it flow with your prosperity to the nations. And now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, and the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit, to those who dream and believe upon the restoration of the remnant, upon our beloved young adults, in their life, in their churches, upon all the churches of Zoe ministry, may this blessing rest now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So let's take a picture.